Are you dealing with anger, hurt, or disappointment toward God about something? Pastor Tom Keller has this to say. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Listen, to me, there are a few embedded thoughts by Martha in this statement. One is, Jesus, if you would have cared more for me, you would have done something to have prevented this, but you didn't, and you could have. Shortened version, Jesus, you could have, why didn't you? And folks, this is one of Satan's most effective tried and true strategies to keep people from coming to God. Their anger over some past loss or injustice or hurt. This is Study the Word. Pastor Tom Keller is our Bible teacher. He's currently in the book of John, chapter 11. Jesus has been requested to come to the aid of a sick friend, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. When Jesus finally arrived, Lazarus had already died. The sisters meet him with great hurt and disappointment. Today, Pastor Tom provides help from the scriptures to those who are experiencing similar feelings. I think you'll be blessed and encouraged as you study the word today with Pastor Tom. When some of you come up to me and tell me that we prayed for you and you're, you're feeling better, you're healed, I will usually say, let's pray about that. And I thank God for the healing right then on the spot. I think that's how we should train ourselves. Every time you get healed, see that as an opportunity to give glory to God. Thank him for that. Every time we recover. And I believe this is exactly what Jesus is working on in his delaying coming. John 11, verse 7 Finally, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Well, there are two things here. Number one, this clearly shows that Jesus was not in Judea. In fact, it says after two days he left, he got there in four days, making the case that he was coming from uh, Bethany near Jordan, on the other, along the Jordan River. And secondly, the disciples are aware, keenly aware, that the religious leaders are trying to kill Jesus. Now think about that. As Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem, does he shrink back from going to Jerusalem, knowing he's going to be crucified there out of fear? No. Do you ever think about Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem knowing that his crucifixion is a week away, and through foreknowledge, knowing what that pain is going to feel like in advance, and yet still pressing on with an iron will toward Jerusalem. Incredible. Incredible. Verse 9, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night... There is danger of stumbling because they have no light. It's interesting. The Jews divided each day from sunrise to sunset into 12 equal parts. So the length of an hour depended upon the time of the year because days are shorter and longer. And I suspect this talking about nighttime, that Jesus is pointing to the fact by foreknowledge that his death 
of which the disciples are referring to here will transpire in large part in the shadowy dark hours of the night in the garden also and the midnight trial in the home of Caiaphas so their daylight trip to Jerusalem cannot be the end that they fear and then Jesus adds to this comment rather cryptically by saying this in verse 11 then he said our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but now I will go and wake him up the disciples said Lord if he is sleeping he will soon get better they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping but Jesus meant Lazarus had died so he told them plainly Lazarus is dead and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there for now you will really believe come let's go see him now here's an important truth that highlights a difference between how we see people and how God sees people we see all people historically from the beginning of time that we know of as either alive or dead God sees all people from the beginning of time as either alive currently or sleeping Jesus tells us that in Luke chapter 20 verse 37 he says but now as to whether the dead will be raised even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush long after Abraham Isaac and Jacob had died he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob so he is the God of the living not the dead hear this for they are all alive to him and so it is with us for those who have died in Christ they are saved they are in heaven they are awaiting their final resurrection body we read of that in first Thessalonians chapter 4 speaking of the rapture which could be today get excited for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God first the believers who have died will raise from their graves and together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air then we will be with the Lord forever amen? amen so encourage each other with these words and so we have a temporary body when we die and go to heaven we will get our final resurrection body at the time of the rapture but for the lost they also will arise out of their sleep as we find in Revelation chapter 20 verse 13 speaking of the lost the sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire this is the lake of this lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life the Lamb's book of life you've received Christ was thrown if you didn't receive Christ was thrown into the lake of fire so in the same way people when they die and go to hell they have a body in hell a physical body but it's not the final placement their final placement takes place when they're transferred to the lake of fire which takes place in Revelation chapter 20 and so Jesus's assessment that Lazarus is only sleeping is true from God's vantage point all men are sleeping awaiting that final resurrection and that is the accurate assessment concerning every person that you ever knew died lost or saved they are sleeping sleeping 
awaiting the final resurrection of either the lost or the saved. In heaven, in a temporary body, in hell, in a temporary body, but waiting for the final. And then John 11, verse 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, just one little quick side note here. Notice that Jesus doesn't respond to Thomas's statement, not at all. And why is that? Because he knows better. He knows that all the disciples are going to flee. They're going to run. And here John tells us that Thomas's nickname was a twin. I didn't know this until I studied this. It was interesting. It says that church tradition says he was called the twin because Thomas closely resembled Jesus, which put him at special risk when they would come looking for Jesus. Additionally, the commentator Dodds says, quote, Thomas is the pessimist among the disciples and now take the gloomy and as it proved the correct view of the result of this return to Judea. But his affectionate loyalty forbids the thought of allowing Jesus to go alone. And then verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Now, is there a reason why Jesus waited four days? Why didn't he come after two, after three? Well, there is a reason why four is significant. Because there was a well-known Jewish belief attested from accounts that go back to 200 AD that the soul, this is what the Jews taught, that the soul of a dead person remained in the vicinity of the dead person hoping to re-enter the body for up to three days. So John wants his Jewish leaders who are steeped in this tradition to know that Lazarus was beyond the three days, beyond the possibility of being resuscitated. We also know that formal mourning lasted for seven days, starting immediately on the day of burial, which took place the same day as the day of death. They don't embalm, so they bury the same day as death. So remember, the mourning was seven days, Jesus comes after four. The crowds are still there. And verse 38 says that Lazarus was buried in a typical rock-cut rolling stone tomb as remain even today strewn up and down the slopes of the Kidron Valley and beyond. Inside a cave room, burial benches were carved in stone along the inner wall. The body was prepared here and then laid horizontally into cut burial tunnels. In Hebrew, kokim, about six feet deep, and they would be left there to decompose. After a year or so, the body was removed, actually the bones by that time were removed from the kokim, and the bones were placed in a limestone burial box known as an ossuary. The tomb was closed and then would later be reopened for subsequent burials with a wheel-shaped rolling stone fitted to cover the entrance in a stone channel. And note that many people had come. This is in large part why this particular miracle was so damaging to the religious leaders vendetta against Jesus. Because number one, Lazarus was so popular. Number two, the healing was of a dead man, and not just dead, dead four days. 
And number three, there was a huge crowd present due to the one week of mourning. And our account reads as though while Jesus is still some distance away from Bethany, Lazarus' sister Martha, by herself, walks out to meet him. Verse 30. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. Barnes says, quote, to Martha was entrusted the management of the affairs of this family. So it is probable that when she heard of Jesus' arrival, she took the lead and went to welcome him. King James in verse 20 says it this way, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Mary, however, King James says, sat still in the house. We're told that the common posture of grief in a Jewish funeral gathering was to sit. One commentary says, quote, often this grief was so excessive as to fix the person in astonishment and render them immovable. This is meant to convey to us the different nature of both Mary and Martha once again. Martha, the get-up-and-do-something, practically-taking-charge kind of girl, goes out to try to fix this. And Mary, she just sits with the others silently mourning. And it reads to me as though Martha kind of blames Jesus for all of this. Listen to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, what I read in that is that Martha's hurt. Parenthetically, Jesus, I can't believe that you would abandon us like this when you, we know you love us, and we know you could have come sooner, and we know you could have healed our brother. The unspoken elephant in the room is, Jesus, why didn't you come in time but then Martha expresses the real reason for her running out to meet Jesus in verse 22 she says but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask that's code for bring my brother back from the dead and Jesus understood Martha's coded message because he responds this way in verse 23 Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. What a promise that is for you and me. I'm the resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Can Jesus lie? No. No. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Jesus' question to Martha has very little to do with her faith in Jesus' ability to bring her brother back to life. Instead, Jesus goes much deeper, and he's asking Martha if her faith can embrace a belief in Jesus' lordship and his control over death itself. And Jesus' statement in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life, in my estimation, is the most significant, the most powerful of all of Jesus' I am 
statements found in the Gospels. Because Jesus is not just saying that he can provide a resurrected life after this life, but Jesus said he is the resurrection. He is the life. Gary Burge explains, quote, eternal life and rescue from the finality of death are not merely gifts obtained by way of our appeal to God, but rather they are the byproduct of what it means to live a life in, in associating with Jesus. Because if Jesus is life, then those who believe in him will enjoy the confidence and power over death known by Jesus. So how does today's lesson apply to me? Well, first, try always to keep in mind how monumental this raising of Lazarus is as you read the Bible in the future. John eleven forty five. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. A lot of people. This was a turning point. And it created a big problem. Two verses later, then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together after Lazarus' healing. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs miraculous, many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. So, you know, to me, when you read this account of Lazarus and what the religious leader said, this was their low point. This was the point where they felt they were defeated. I don't think you find another place in all the Gospels where the religious leaders were as desperate as right here. And yet the crowning point of their victory, to me, is when they were taken before Pilate, and Pilate said to, to the religious leaders, what should I do with this man that you call the king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And that's where they knew they had him. That was their moment of victory, because Pilate could not pass on that one. This was their low point. That was their high point. And I'd like to close in this verse, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Listen, to me, there are a few embedded thoughts by Martha in this statement. One is, Jesus, if you would have cared more for me, you would have done something to have prevented this, but you didn't, and you could have. Short inversion, Jesus, you could have, why didn't you? And folks, this is one of Satan's most effective, tried and true, true strategies to keep people from coming to God. Their anger over some past loss or injustice or hurt. God, you could have kept my child from dying, but you didn't. God, you could have cured me of this illness, but you won't. God, you could have stopped my uncle from abusing me, but you didn't. I want nothing to do with you. So if this is you, how do you get past this? Well, although the steps required to move beyond this, the steps themselves are simple. It first requires you to let go of the idea that you are sovereign and God is not. It means giving up the notion that concerning this issue at hand, that your thinking and heart are right and giving up the idea that God's thinking and heart on this matter are flawed. Listen, there are many things that may have happened in your life that were not God's will. 
like the loss of a child. Listen, God's will was heaven and earth. Adam and Eve short-circuited that. That was his will. No death, no decay, no dying. My nephew dying of a drug overdose at the age of 21. That was a result of him exercising his free will. But even out of that, even out of that, at his funeral, hundreds, Sue was there, hundreds of young people came to that funeral and many of them gave their lives to Christ at that funeral. Because Romans 8, 20, it says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Listen, if this applies to you, can we settle this today? Here's the process. It's really pretty simple. It means you giving up all that anger, all that bitterness, all that resentment. Here are the steps. Number one, let go of you taking on the role of being God's judge and acknowledge that he is sovereign in all his dealings with man and you are not. Number two, ask God to forgive you for judging him and the bitterness that followed. You know, the definition of bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. Unfulfilled revenge. Number three, accept the words of Romans 8.28 as true and applicable to the situation over which you have been bitter. And number four, know, know that God's love is big enough to get you over this. And that's the truth. No matter what you've been through, the truth is God is, his love for you is so much bigger than that pain, so much bigger than that event. He can overwhelm that. You just have to trust in that love. You live in the reality of that love. And he can make that insignificant compared to his love for you. Do you believe that? Then let's pray. Father, there are some people here today without question on the radio listening who are harboring an anger, a bitterness, a resentment. Maybe it be slight against an injustice, a wrong, a hurt that was done to them. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would take that to the cross this morning and acknowledge, Lord, it's way above their pay grade to try to figure out all that happened there. And Lord, there is sin done in this world and there is sin done against us and it wasn't right and it wasn't your will. But the truth is your love is bigger than what was done to us. And I ask, Lord, if you're in that category, just pray this prayer with me. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for me taking the role of sovereign and judging you that you were out of control or wrong in not acting. I ask you to forgive me for that attitude. And I do accept the fact, Lord Jesus, that your love for me is so great. I want to believe that. I want to know that love, that love that is so great that it can overwhelm the hurt, the bitterness, the anger that I'm carrying. And I ask you to forgive me for that. And if you're here this morning or listening and you've never prayed to receive Jesus, look, you need to walk into that world of his love first before any of this can happen. If you'd like that starting point, then just pray this prayer quietly after me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I've sinned and I ask you to forgive me. And I do receive Jesus as my personal Savior, Lord. Jesus dying on that cross that I could have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Now, Lord, help me, help us 
to live lives that honor you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You're listening to Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller and part of our study in the Gospel of John. Replay any message you enjoy by going to our website, ccleb.com, or visit our YouTube page. Subscribe to our channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, and watch our services live or on demand. For a CD copy, call us at 717-273-5633. Again, that's 717-273-5633. Stay connected with us through Facebook and Instagram. You'll find us at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, PA. God is doing a great work through Study the Word, and perhaps you'd like to be a part of it. You can do so through your prayers and financial support. To help us provide Study the Word on stations like this one all across the nation, visit ccleb.com or call 717-273-5633. If you prefer to write, let me give you our mailing address, Study the Word, 740 Willow Street, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, 17046. Tom Keller is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, and he loves to meet his radio listeners. For more information about our service times or to watch the live stream, visit ccleb.com. Or again, go to our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. There's much more to come in the Gospel of John. Join us in the days ahead. Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller is presented by Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and made possible through the support of our listeners. 